Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. Welcome to this report. We'll look at fighting between India and Pakistan as the blows have caused tensions to rise to a 50-year high. Could a nuclear exchange in this region spark global nuclear war? President Donald Trump was in North Korea for a nuclear summit with Kim Jong-un this week. Speaking of nuclear war, Russia threatened the U.S. with a nuclear strike this week and even published a map of strike locations. Before we get to these stories, let's find out what the Jewish Messiah, who true believers know is the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist, find out what he's doing. The Jews are looking forward to his revealing. We'll take a look at how that is going, starting with this breaking Israel news title. Bible codes show Messiah will be anointed on Purim. According to Breaking Israel News, Rabbi Matt Yahu Glazerson, a Bible codes expert, says Purim, which will be celebrated on Wednesday, March 20th, 2019, is a particularly auspicious time for Moshiach to be anointed. In a recent Bible Codes video, which has already been viewed more than 10,000 times, Rabbi Glazerson explained that the findings in this table are far away from being coincidence. In the case of this table, it's because the codes include unusually long sentences and other conditions that make for a very significant table. Will Moshiach be anointed? Well, Glazerson pointed to a code that reveals the date of the 14th of, of Adar. Now, Adar is the Hebrew month that falls around February or March every year on which is celebrated the holiday of Purim. In other words, the Jewish Kabad Kabbal expects the anti-Messiah to be revealed at Purim in some coming year, perhaps even this year. In fact, the article states, given that the 14th of Adar and the holiday of Purim occurs every year, Glazerson showed three other codes that help pinpoint the date more specifically. Going in chronological order, the first is 5776, which was... February 23, 2016. The second is 5779, which is our current year in the Hebrew calendar. And the third date he found was 5781, which corresponds to February 26, 2021. Glazerson emphasized that three dates in one table is not usual. In other words... The Jewish anti-Messiah could have been revealed in 2016. He might be revealed in 2019 or he might be revealed in 2021, this son of perdition. How the Kabad Jews explain the code discrepancies away is by saying there is a process of Messiah that started in 5776. The appearance of Moshiach in the current year is dependent on repentance. Only if Jews would keep the Torah, keep the Sabbath, keep everything which God wants them to keep. Well, of course, if their Messiah doesn't show up, they simply say, We didn't do what we were supposed to. They most certainly won't admit to being false prophets. 
Furthermore, Glazerson's state process of redemption began in 2016, continues this year, and even without full repentance will end in 2021. He concluded by stating that all of them coming here in such a clear way teaches that by teaching the Torah, keeping the Sabbath, keeping everything that God really wants us to keep, only then will we have Messiah. If not, then we'll have to wait, unfortunately, for another almost two years. Well, actually, the scripture says that Yeshua will come as Messiah when the whole earth is so evil that only a remnant of obedient Hebrews are left, not when the Jews decide to keep the Sabbath. The problem I see is that the Jewish cabal believes what the Talmud states, the rabbis decree and God obeys. He won't show up until all Jews are falling in line with Orthodox Judaism. The truth is that everything will happen in Yahweh's timing, not man's. We shall see if their much acclaimed Jewish Messiah is revealed this year. The Palestinians held a protest at Temple Mount's Eastern Gate, also known as the Gate of Mercy and the Golden Gate. That's the gate where Yeshua will enter when he returns. It may have been that the Palestinians are trying to stop the Jews from trotting their Jewish anti-Messiah through this gate. The breaking Israel News article states that thousands of Palestinians entered through the gate last Friday and claimed that this was a great victory for them. The Muslims called for incitement against the Jews and broke into a compound that had been closed for 16 years by Israel's Supreme Court since it was found out that the terrorist organization Hamas was using the compound. Their screams say it all, with spirit and blood, we will redeem Al-Aqsa. That gate was sealed by the Muslims in 810 CE, opened by the Crusaders in 1102 CE, and sealed again by Suleiman in 1541 CE. The gate was then sealed by Israel in 2003, probably in anticipation of the Jewish Messiah's arrival, since there has been conjecture by scholars that the motivation for Muslims sealing the gate was to prevent the arrival of the Jewish Messiah, and now their occupation is meant to do the same thing. Knesset member Ahmad Tibi visited the Golden Gate site last Saturday and said its opening was an important and significant step. The Israeli police did not try to remove the Muslims from the Eastern Gate compound after it had been invaded. Both Islam and Judaism desires to rule the earth. You do know that, right? The Muslim leadership alleges that Israel wants to keep the Golden Gate sealed off for Muslims in order to give Jewish fanatics who call for rebuilding their temple inside Al-Aqsa compound free access and presence in the area. Israel arrested a senior PA official on Tuesday in East Jerusalem on charges relating to fraud and forgery, but the arrest was linked to tensions over the Eastern Gate invasion. And a second suspect was also arrested, the police said, and both were later released. The Jerusalem Walk Council 
announced that the gate which was closed by Israel in 2003 will now remain open even after the arrest of two of its senior officials. The Muslims believe they can prevent the Jewish Messiah from appearing by controlling access to the gate. This lends to my opinion that there will be a second Messiah to try to enter this gate. And the Muslims will fight the first one. They'll welcome the second. The Muslims, as well as the Hamas terror organization, have threatened an outbreak of violence if Israel attempts to reshut the area. You may recall that last November a sinkhole appeared in front of this gate. The sinkhole was one of three phenomena that happened on Temple Mount that seemed to presage prophetic events. The other two mysterious events were the appearance of a snake high up in the western wall and a 200-pound stone that slipped out of a place and fell, almost killing a Jewish woman praying at the wall. This uproar over the eastern or golden gate seems to be coming from the Palestinians and the Jordanian government as a means to maintain control over all of East Jerusalem. It may be that this is not only about the coming Jewish Messiah, but also President Donald Trump's peace plan. Jordan handed over more control to the PA last week, too. For the first time, Palestinian Authority officials and religious leaders were installed in the body, which has historically been made up of individuals close to the Jordanian monarchy. Haaretz analyst Amos Harrell thinks the unrest around the Golden Gate is related to the Israeli decision to halt the transfer of tax revenues and import duties to the Palestinian Authority over its so-called pay-to-slay policy of distributing monthly stipends to jailed Palestinian terrorists and their families. Harrell is wrong about the connection to the decision to withhold the funds from the PA that the PA uses to pay terrorists who killed or wounded Israelis and their families, according to this story, because tensions on the Temple Mount spiked roughly a week before the decision of the Israeli Security Cabinet. This invasion happened after the Jordanian custodian Bloc formed a new extended council that would administer the Temple Mount on the February 19th. The new council now consists of Fatah members and PA officials next to Muslim Brotherhood members with ties to the radical northern branch of the Islamic movement in Israel and to the Islamist regime of Turkish leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan. The new Waq Council openly encouraged the renewed violence on the Temple Mount and the takeover of the Golden Gate under the pretext that Israel was planning to build a house of prayer for Jews there. Well, of course, there is no such plan, but Mahmoud Habesh, religious affairs advisor to PA leader Mahmoud Abbas, nevertheless deemed it necessary to call upon his fellow Muslims to defend the Temple Mount. Habash said the Golden Gate was part of the Islamic doctrine and warned Muslims not to concede one inch of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount since that would be equal to conceding Mecca and the Quran. Secondly, Jordan and the PA seem to brace for the publication of President Donald Trump's deal of the century that not yet 
published New American Peace Initiative, which has already been rejected out of hand by both the PA and other Palestinian groups. Full Palestinian control over the entire Temple Mount will challenge Israel's drive for international recognition of its sovereignty over all of Jerusalem and will establish facts on the ground about Trump's peace plan that the team can't ignore. And then there is this fact. I don't care how you cut it in scripture. This territory is called Judea. Jerusalem is part of Judea. And it belongs to the tribe of Judah. And they will be getting it back. The article continues. Then there is the fact that foreign actors are trying to interfere with international Israeli affairs in Jerusalem and are funding and inciting Arab activists in the eastern, northern, and southern part of the city against Israel. Jordan has historically administered the Muslim shrines on the Temple Mount and is aware of attempts by other Muslim states to get a foothold in Jerusalem. Saudi Arabia and Morocco are two of these foreign countries, while Erdogan's Islamist regime in Turkey is the other one. Dr. David Koren of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security says, Turkish popularity in eastern Jerusalem has grown so much in recent years that leaders in Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the PA have told Israel that Erdogan was building up spheres of influence in eastern Jerusalem that jeopardized their interests and those of Israel. The Turks are another separate Muslim entity of Sunnis who want control of Jerusalem again to reestablish the old Ottoman Empire. The king of the north will have to deal with them after he invades the king of the south. See in Daniel 11.44 regarding the bad news from the north and east after the initial invasion. Now the article continues. The Turks work together with local Muslim Brotherhood members and fund a large part of the so-called Dawah activities uh, in Jerusalem. There are also non-state actors actively working to establish full Muslim control over Temple Mount and at least in Arab Jerusalem. One of them is the Islamist organization Hazib Ut-Tahrir, the Party of the Liberation, an organization which was founded in Jerusalem but now has branches all over the world. Hazib Ut-Tahrir, just like ISIS, wants to establish a global caliphate but aspires to doing so through Dawah and nonviolent jihad. Now, I'm not sure Turkey agrees with that part. But in Israel, Hazibut Tahrir aims to replace the Zionist government and replace it with a Muslim government which strictly adheres to Sharia, Muslim law. The global Islamist organization has not succeeded in mobilizing the Muslim masses in Israel and only tries to enforce Sharia adherence in the Arab neighborhoods and suburbs of Jerusalem. The PA and Jordan, though, are now working together to foil an Israeli plan which aims to significantly improve living conditions in the Arab parts of Jerusalem and to change the matriculation programs of Arab schools in the city. 
the massive Israeli rehabilitation programs in Arab Jerusalem is viewed by the PA and Jordan as a Zionist plot to uproot the Palestinian and Muslim character of Jerusalem. Another reason the PA and Jordan increased their cooperation on Jerusalem-related issues is to thwart Islamist dominance over the Arab Muslims in Jerusalem and to reinforce Palestinian-Jordanian control over what is generally dubbed East Jerusalem, that's Northeast and Southern Jerusalem. The Muslim desire to replace the Israeli government with a Sharia government is not unique to Hizub Uttarir. The Iranian Shiites also have this aspiration, and you can see from this article the Jordanian and Palestinian Sunnis have a different agenda than the Turkish Sunnis. So, just like Yahweh's house, the Islamic house is very divided as well. I have a speculation that I want to share with you. This is something that keeps coming to my mind lately. Let me read Daniel 9.27 to you, which says, And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease, and on a corner of the altar desolating abominations, even until the end. And that which was decreed shall be poured on the desolator. This verse is related to, but disconnected from, Daniel 9, 24-26, where the prophecy is about the Messiah Yeshua, who comes to finish the transgressions of Yahweh's people with his own blood. The and of verse 27 is not about the Messiah Yeshua but about two other messiahs who will greatly affect the twelve tribes of Israel and the whole earth. The near fulfillment of verse 27 came through the Greek general Antiochus, who was part of Daniel's prophecies about the rising Greek empire. Daniel 11 verses 3 to 39 has to do with the Greek empire and the fights between the generals as the Greeks try to hang on to Jerusalem. Daniel 11 40 to 45 corresponds to Daniel 27. What has happened in the past is going to happen again. And it has to do with these end times messiahs. Now I believe Daniel 27 is one of those rare prophetic scriptures that only has one fulfillment. And that it comes at the end of days. Now most prophecies have a near and far fulfillment. But I do not believe this is so for verse 27. There are two different messiahs in Daniel 9.27. I believe that if the Catholics had rendered this properly, they would have added a verse 28 when they were adding numbers to the sentences of the scrolls because the first he that is mentioned in the first sentence of verse 27 is a different he than the one mentioned in the second sentence. That second he is own verse because he is a different Messiah. Let's take a look at this. The first he of Daniel 9.27 confirms a covenant with a group called many. 
The Hebrew word is rob, from where we get the word this most likely is an allusion to a peace treaty of some kind. That word confirm there, that he confirms a covenant, is gabar. Now, gabar means to be strong and by implication to prevail. Now, many have said that this means the Messiah will strengthen the covenant. But... There is a violence in this word gabar. Yes, it means to be strong, but it is strength through prevailing, such as when a treaty is forced on a people, the Palestinians, and perhaps even on the Israelis as well. If the Israelis don't like the plan or won't agree to a plan, if this is correct, we will see this forced and enforced peace treaty become the premise for the Gog-Magog engagement with the Iranian Shiite king of the north on Israeli soil. This is what I believe could happen. The first he, in verse 27, is a Messiah who will force peace in Israel during the time of the end. This forced peace treaty will usher in Jacob's sorrows, the first three and a half years of the seven-year period. The next, he will shut down the Jewish Messiah's altar by means of war and usurping the altar, even destroying it for his own purpose. The second, he will be the Mahdi of the Shia. This act will usher in the last three and a half years, also known as Jacob's Trouble, or the Great Tribulation. Right now, this is what I'm beginning to see. Could I be wrong? Yes. And now I have another belief to tell you about. You know, beliefs are opinions, as you know, and they can change as the prophetic events are fulfilled, exposing the next event to come. What I believe, until I understand it differently, is that as the, mer the earth moves forward into the last seven years before Yeshua returns, prophecies will become clearer. We will get to understand what needs to be understood as the time gets closer, or very close, and not before. Prophecies have always engendered much speculation, and we're seeing now that most of that was incorrect. So until the time comes close, the truth of prophecy most likely can't be seen clearly. So here's my speculation. You've heard this before. President Donald Trump's administration's latest statement that he believes his deal of the century has low odds of succeeding may make him force his deal on the Palestinians and perhaps the Israelis if the two don't agree. The Palestinians are expected to be the main stumbling block having broken off relations with the Trump administration. The plan also faces fierce opposition from the evangelical community in the United States, which, 
opposes pressure on Israel. This kind of pressure from evangelicals could cause Trump to wait until after the next election to force the plan if he intends to force it. This will coincide with the last three and a half years of the seven-year period, which is to start with the war between Gog and the King of the North on Israeli soil, because the elections won't, in America won't be over for another couple of years. However... Jared Kushner described the plan as very detailed, touching on all aspects of conflict, including the redrawing of boundaries and resolving final status issues. And Kushner said the plan sought to formulate realistic solutions for the issues of 2019, which will improve quality of life. The plan would have a broad economic impact, not only on Israel and the Palestinians, but on the entire region as well. He said, we want to ensure there is free flow of people and goods. We must create new opportunities. In other words, he's trying to get this deal done now, so we shall see what happens. Noting the intra-Palestinian political divides with the Palestinian Authority in charge in parts of the West Bank and Hamas ruling the Gaza Strip, Kushner said in a Monday interview that the U.S. has tried to figure out a realistic and fair solution to the issue. He said, we focused on the following four principles that we've used in which that we've used in which to create the plan, he said in an interview aired on a UAE-based Sky News Arabia interview. The first principle is to have freedom. We want people to be able to have the freedom of opportunity, the freedom of religion, the freedom of worship, regardless of your faith. Well, the Jews are not going to allow that because this kind of freedom requires equal citizenship which went out the door with the Jewish state law last July. Respect. We want all people to have dignity and to respect each other. Opportunity. We want people to be able to better their lives and not allow the grandfather's conflict to hijack the children's future. And the final one is security. The Palestinians say that all signs indicate the plan will fall far short of their long-standing goal of establishing an independent Palestinian state in the Israeli-controlled West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza Strip. And now, moving on, the end of days are about messiahs and wars. Wars and messiahs. Aside from the threat of war on Israel's internal soil, this week Russia threatened the United States with nuclear war. Now I have said in the past that Russia will attack America one day and that Iran will attack Israel. You know, Russia and America are equals as superpowers and Iran and Israel are equals as Middle Eastern nations. I'm talking militarily now. So when the attacks come, they will probably come simultaneously. Nonetheless, President Trump has pushed President Putin with nuclear weapons in Eastern Europe, and Putin is pushing back. 
The Guardian and other sites have reported that Russian state TV has shown a map of potential U.S. nuclear targets. The map shows facilities Moscow would target in the event of a nuclear strike, according to the Moscow Times. The targets included the Pentagon, the presidential retreat in Camp David, Maryland, along with McClellan Park, which is the former Air Force base outside Sacramento, and Jim Creek, a naval communications base in Washington State, just outside Seattle, among others. A hypersonic missile Russia is developing would be able to hit them in less than five minutes once launched from a submarine. According to the New York Times, even given the rotten state of diplomatic relations between Russia and the United States, having a famous St. Petersburg Cathedral choir sing a ballad to nuking America might seem like an odd choice. That weekend performance on Defending the Fatherland Day was just one element in a series of references to nuclear attacks that made it appear on Tuesday that Moscow was dusting off its old mad playbook, Cold War, shorthand for Mutual Assured Destruction. The new assertiveness about the Kremlin's nuclear capabilities seemed to be related to President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which banned the placement of such weapons in Europe. The widely circulated concert video coincided with a broadcast news report by Dmitry Kiselyev, the Kremlin's top propagandist, during primetime on Sunday night detailing what mainland targets Russia would put in its nuclear sites should the United States deploy new missiles in Europe. The threat is so bellicose and out of character for, for Putin that one would have to say he means it. President Putin said he is ready for another Cuban Missile Crisis if the U.S. is foolish enough to want one and that his country currently has the edge when it comes to a first nuclear strike. Putin's comments made to Russian media following his warning that Moscow will match any U.S. move to deploy new missiles closer to Russia by stationing its own missiles closer to the U.S. or by deploying faster missiles or both. Putin fleshed out his warning in detail for the first time, saying Russia would deploy hypersonic missiles on ships and submarines, which could lurk outside U.S. territorial waters if Washington now moved to deploy intermediate-range nuclear weapons in Europe. Putin said that if the U.S. moved missiles into Poland, Russia would deploy submarines off American shores. We're talking about naval delivery vehicles, submarines, or surface ships, and we can put them, given the speed and range of our missiles, in neutral waters. Plus, they are not stationary. They move, and they will have to find them, Putin said, according to a Kremlin transcript. You work it out. Mach 9, that's the speed of the missiles, and over 1,000 kilometers, that's their range. 
the Sirkan hypersonic missile that Russia was developing could reach their targets in less than five minutes if launched from Russian submarines. The U.S. State Department dismissed Putin's earlier warning as propaganda, saying it was designed to divert attention from what Washington alleges are Moscow's violations of the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Other critics were scathing, suggesting that Russia was saber-rattling from a position of weakness. Just moments before, the same news program reported that some 200,000 Russian children attend schools with only outhouses for toilets, one commenter noted on Twitter, asking what exactly was worth defending with nuclear-tipped missiles. That's the wrong question. What this pundit should be looking at is the fact that Russia is pouring its resources into its military and not into schools. Kids don't have to be trained beyond the three R's. They only need to be trained how to push the right buttons. And because they will want to escape their outhouse existence, kids like that will flock to the military just to get some relief sometimes when they are not in field training or battle. Threatening Washington, they noted, was an old method of improving relations. <clears throat> really. Just as new rules for interaction were forged out of the Cuban Missile Crisis, so too could a renewed sense of threat help and tante, which has not worked out as swimmingly as the Kremlin envisioned under President Donald Trump. Oh, I doubt it. The U.S. said it had no immediate plans to deploy such missiles in Europe. However, the U.S. decision to quit the 1987 treaty over an alleged Russian violation, which Moscow denies, has freed it to start developing and deploying such missiles. President Trump is also dealing with another nuclear power, North Korea. President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un kicked off two days of meetings in Hanoi, the Vietnamese capital, to discuss the question of Pyongyang's nuclear weapons and missile programs. Trump told reporters he thought the talks would be very successful, and he found out that that wasn't the case, and that he was not walking back on denuclearization. But North Korea wants the same deal the U.S. gave to India in 2006. You remember that India received U.S. nuclear advice, technology, and other assistance in exchange for mangoes. That's how all those mangoes showed, suddenly showed up on your grocery store shelves. Mangoes were rare then, but suddenly they were everywhere. Well, as I said, the parties departed without agreement, according to the Wall Street Journal. Syria remains a hotbed for war. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu cut short his Moscow trip this Wednesday because Syria's Bashar al-Assad had been in meetings with Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini. Even President Vladimir Putin didn't know what was coming out of that Assad Khomeini talks held in Tehran. The Russian media are meanwhile highlighting the new Israeli UAV, the Harap, 
which carries tactical loitering munitions and is on exhibition at the India Aero Show in Bangalore just when they're going to war with Pakistan. This suicidal drone was used extensively, according to Russian sources, in Israeli F-35 airstrikes on January 20th and 21st, and it destroyed the Russian Pantsir SA-22 air defenses operated by the Syrian army and the Chinese JY-27 radar, which defended the air defense network around Damascus Airport. The Syrians claimed at the time to have shot down 30 Israeli cruise missiles. The Russian president hopes to come out of his talks with Netanyahu at least with a commitment to abstain from such attacks in the future, especially in the Damascus region. However, often when they talked in the past, the next thing that happened was an Israeli air or missile attack on Iranian targets in Syria. Shortly before he flew to Moscow, Netanyahu reiterated that Israel would not allow Iran to establish a military presence in Syria or set up bases near its borders. Now, this was a slight modification of his standard assertions on the subject. Rather than Iranian bases in Syria as a whole, he only cited borders. Our sources report that he made this adjustment in the light of the amended U.S. military evacuation plan. Netanyahu has presumably been apprised of its details. Several hundred American troops are to remain in northeastern Syria. And furthermore, Trump's advisor Jared Kushner and Turkish President Erdogan are currently in discussion on placing some Turkish soldiers in that part of the country. This leaves Iran and its proxies' presence on Israel's borders as Netanyahu's immediate problem, which is why Netanyahu, who is also defense minister, took with him to Moscow Air Force Commander Major General Amikam Nurkin and Military Intelligence Chief Major General Tamir Heyman. For now... Both Netanyahu or Putin are still in the dark about where Syria is going after President Bashar Assad got, got his orders from Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei in Tehran. But Netanyahu told Putin that Israel will continue its strikes in Syria. Israel can, meanwhile, count on its upgraded Harap drone for a measure of security. This UAV is not preset to strike a single target, but cruises through Syria airspace air using its unique beam detection and optical capabilities to locate its quarry and destroy it. Another part of the world to watch is India and Pakistan. According to conflicting reports this week, Pakistan says it shot down two Indian jets over Kashmir, while India claims to have shot down a Pakistani fighter jet. Pakistan said it had taken strikes at a non-military target, avoiding human loss and collateral damage, while Indian authorities said the Pakistani jets had been pushed back. 
Two weeks ago, tensions between the two nuclear-armed powers flared after a Pakistani Jaish-e-Muhammad terrorist carried out a suicide attack on a bus carrying Indian Border Guard police officers and killed 44. This is the deadliest terror attack since Kashmir was partitioned between India and Pakistan in 1947. On February 26, the Indian Air Force retaliated for the attack with strikes against targets in Pakistan, which responded with cross-border artillery shelling of Indian sites in Kashmir. Pakistan then claimed to have shot down two Indian Air Force jets over the Pakistani side of Kashmir and that they took two pilots captive, one injured. Of course, uh, India confirmed the loss of the MIG-21 fighter and said that a pilot was missing. During this air fight, Pakistan closed its airspace to commercial flights while India followed suit, although limiting the closure to areas closed or close to embattled Kashmir. In the wars between the two powers over Kashmir, India has lost more than 70,000 who have died there. Indian Kashmir has a population of 7 million, both Hindu and Muslim. The Pakistan side has 6 million inhabitants. Almost all of them are Muslim. Deb Kafile notes that while Kashmir is a long, rankling issue between New Delhi and Islamabad, both tend to scale up military tensions over the disputed the disputed territory when a security concern arises on the Indian subcontinent and in other fields. This time, it was sparked by the Afghan peace talks in progress between the U.S. and Taliban leaders. Pakistan, which has strained relations with the Trump administration, suspects that the Americans aim to oust its positions of influence in Kabul and open the door for the Indians to step in. So last week, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman visited both capitals and tried his hand at mediation. But tensions were so high that the prince could not cross the border and was forced to return to Riyadh before flying back to India. Since then, Pakistan and India began trading serious air and ground warfare. The use of nuclear weapons in this part of the world will certainly increase the chance that other nations will decide they can do the same. So, in wrapping up, Will the Jewish anti-Messiah be revealed on March 20th on Purim this year? We can only wait and see. When will the Trump peace plan be published? Will the U.S. continue to be a threat to Russia's border? And will war escalate between India and Pakistan? For now, please consider getting away from danger in Babylon and remember to stay updated with Beast Watch News every day, 24 hours a day. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.